passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the long and winding Royal Road here at postwrestling.com. It is, of course, our look back at the history of the 1990s era of all Japan pro wrestling, taking a look at some of the, the best matches in the history of that promotion, of that era, of the entirety of professional wrestling. And my name is WH Park, and I'm your host today. Uh, and joining me today, is a special guest who many of you might be familiar with. He's appeared on Post Wrestling many, many times with John Pollock and Waiting. He is the host of the WrestleNomics podcast. Uh, he is Brandon Thurston. Brandon, how are you today? I'm great, WH. I'm excited to talk about possibly the, the greatest era of professional wrestling for a promotion, at least so in my, my opinion. So you're like me, you you kind of like a big fan of this era of wrestling. And like, I, I can't think of anything that has come before or after that, that matches the match quality of the really high end stuff of, of all Japan of this time. Yeah. People say this, uh, this recent era of new Japan comes pretty close. Maybe it does, but, uh, at least for me growing up as a tape trader, like as a teenager, this was, uh, this was a big discovery. Like I got into, tape trading in the very very late 90s i think i got a, a, a hayabusa best of comp off of ebay in like 1999 and it had you know all of the hayabusa death matches because hayabusa was you know he does high flying flips and and he does death matches so it seemed the best of both worlds as far as what was advertised to me on, on the internet on ebay so i checked out a hayabusa comp tape but at the end of that hayabusa comp tape uh was a few of his matches from the 97 tag league which include uh, a tag with Masao Nakayama, which you have reviewed already, I think you did. That I did, one. yes, yeah. Where you see me with the one Jinzei Sensaki, which uh, who people might remember as uh, Hakushi from the WBF. And I'm, I'm sure, what, what did you think when you first saw like Masawa and Akiyama? I was I was blown away by the near falls, and actually, so I had like a six hour tape, but I think it was supposed to be an eight hour tape so it cut off and like right as as the near falls were getting super hot and i was getting super into it and i was like oh my god this is the best match i've ever seen and then the tape hit the end and then automatically re rewound which is what happens for those who are not uh, familiar with vhs tapes and who, who missed out on that era when you get to the very end of the tape it will just immediately stop and immediately rewind so uh i had to check out more all japan from there and uh yeah, and then I got into just more of the, the classic singles matches and more of the classic tag matches. And uh, I do remember where I was when I watched this match on probably like seventh generation VHS. So, yeah, it's uh, all Japan pro wrestling in the 90s was a, a huge, huge deal to me. I have even I have the program from the uh, Misawa and Jumbo 1990 match, which you have also reviewed. Uh, 
I have the program, the real program. It's in, it's in a frame and I have put it on my wall. Actually, since I moved, I, I don't think I put it back up, but I, I will soon. That's amazing. Like, did you get that from, from someone from Japan or from Totagon? I think I got it from eBay as well. More recently though, within the last 10 years or so. Wow, that's pretty cool. So most people might be familiar with your work with uh, WrestleNomics Radio and appearing, you know, to talk the business side of wrestling, especially of modern wrestling with, with John a lot. Um, how, did, how did that come about? I just want to get people background on sure. you as, 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 a, as a podcaster first, Brandon. Sure. So I've been a wrestler since 2003. Uh, that was when I started training. But uh, I got really in- interested in the, um, the business of wrestling around the time that the network launched just because I've always been interested in how new technologies and new forms of media change the wrestling business and really change people's lives in, in kind of underrated ways. And, um, and I think pro wrestling has been really affected by whether it was, I think you could go back as far as the railroad in the earliest times and, uh, but TV in the fifties and cable in the eighties and eventually pay-per-view and uh, the internet and streaming video, I think have all had, huge effects on the wrestling business. And uh, so when the network was launching, I thought, oh, this is, this is the next step. So I got really interested in it and uh, followed a lot of the news coming, coming out of the, uh, the network launch and the subscriber counts. And of course, that when I was interested in that, I discovered the work of Chris Harrington, who I, kind, I guess I, I had probably met before where we had mutual friends because he is from Rochester, New York originally. And I'm from Buffalo, New York, which is where I still live. And uh, he grew up sort of in the, uh, the independent wrestling scene in Rochester. And uh, as I came up as an independent wrestler in Buffalo, eventually we, you know, Rochester and Buffalo are only about an hour and a half away from each other in terms of a drive. And uh, so I got to know a lot of Rochester wrestlers and, and those, but by the time I uh, encountered Rochester independent wrestling people, Mookie had uh, moved to uh, Minnesota. Chris Harrington is Mookie. That's one of the same people may know. Uh, so anyway, I ended up getting, uh, getting to know Chris better and we ended up doing the WrestleNomics podcast together from 2007 through 2018. I think those two entire years. And, uh, at the same time, I started to write more about, uh, the business of wrestling, especially WWE, because there are, there's a lot of information there because they're a publicly traded company. And, uh, so Chris and I did the podcast and, um, he went away, he got to scouted and, and, uh, rated by uh, AEW. So he works for AEW now as vice pres- president of business strategy. And uh, I'm continuing to do the WrestleNomics uh, podcast and do the WrestleNomics website and, and things of that nature. So it's, uh, and I'm, uh, it's always a big day when uh, something like the Peacock deal comes down and uh, everybody's calling me to uh, appear on their podcast and including post wrestling. So that is always a fun and busy time. Yes, I, I can imagine. But you, you kind of mentioned uh, two things I want to touch on. One, when uh, Chris Harrington, who, by the way, I, I had lunch with in Tokyo a couple of years oh, really? ago. Yeah, he came. Well, it was during the the the, the Wrestle Kingdom with Tanahashi versus Omega. Right. This would have been Omega's like last match for New Japan, and it would have been like the launch of All Elite Wrestling. The announcement was done right after the Wrestle Kingdom show. And then I remember, I think it was through John. John Pollock like said, Oh, someone named Chris Harrington wants to contact you about getting tickets. And I said, Okay, sure. So I got him some tickets for, for an all Japan show 
uh, on the third. Really, I think I remember him telling me about that. And then we went to a stardom show, uh, same day, and we had ramen. And then we went to Ribera Steakhouse afterwards. So it was a really fun time hanging out with Chris. Very, very nice man. And yeah. and um, yeah, I can if you have if anyone ever has a chance to like talk to him about records. He's a big vinyl collector or, or a, a laser disc as well. He's a laser disc, a big oh, yes. laser disc fan. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it was fun time talking with him. But so just yeah. that was the point one. The point two is I want to talk about you briefly touched upon that you are a trained professional wrestler, independent wrestler. And I have seen some of your matches, especially your program with uh, one Daniel Garcia. And I just want to say yeah. to everyone if you want to see some really high end, great technical wrestling, check out brandon's matches with daniel garcia you can think you can find most of that program like i think he did a really interesting like um angle with him over a series of matches and you can find all of that on on youtube yeah that, that was very meaningful so we you know i had a, a hand in training daniel uh when he started to wrestle only a few years ago um he's still in his early 20s still like if, if you can uh if you could buy stock in wrestlers i, I would recommend buying stock in uh and daniel garcia he's uh he just did a spot on NXT a month or two ago. So I think, uh, especially when the pandemic is over, there's going to be some big things in store for him. Um, but yeah, that, that stuff is on YouTube. And we, uh, you know, it was really sort of a student and teacher type story. And there's a lot of uh, promos and stuff that I think really uh, get people invested. It, it, it also followed the time where uh, Daniel and uh, three other wrestlers, Kevin Bennett, Kevin Blackwood and Puff had been in a car accident, which was, you know, very real this is not an angle they were in a car accident on their way home from a, a wrestling show in montreal on their way back to buffalo so uh he had been hurt the worst i think he had two broken legs as a result and uh, so it took him several months to get back in the ring but that was one of his first matches after uh recovering so yeah, yeah definitely like a lot of that stuff is on on the YouTube, as I was saying, and uh, go check it out. Just type in Brand Thurston, Daniel Garcia. You, I'm sure all those, uh, all the matches will will come up, and all the uh, the shows with the uh, with like kind of like the interviews and stuff that I thought were, were really compelling when I was watching them. Yeah, uh, but he does this great great promo in the hospital, which is like legit while he's in the hospital, sitting in a wheelchair, and like. Yeah, that's a true pro wrestler, you know. That's yeah. you get you get. Oh, let's just do it in the hospital, like make, make it think- real as possible. I think he had his mom like like hold his iPhone and like they start with a with a shot of you know go out the window at this hospital uh, ECMC which is sort of this high rise hospital in Buffalo and you can see like the skyline and then it then it pans over to him in the wheelchair pissed off it's it's pretty good but uh, the the other thing you mentioned about the uh, about Muki in Japan you know whenever um I have a Google alert for his name so whenever his uh, Chris Harrington's name appears in the Google News I get a, a, an email alert and. Usually it's because Dave Meltzer has mentioned on Wrestling Observer Radio the, the fateful meeting between Chris Harrington and the New Japan office at that time and, and during that trip uh, that you were uh, visiting with him. I think he mentioned a bit about that to me, but like I, yeah. I, I, one, I'm, I'm probably not at liberty to really talk about it too. I, I probably don't remember that many of the details, to be honest with you. I do remember we had really good ramen for, for lunch. We, uh, Jojo Remy took us to a nice ramen restaurant with, uh, with Chris, and that was a fun time having lunch with uh, both him and and Chris. But let's get to today's true topic, Brandon. We're, we're going to talk about a match that you picked. And, and please introduce this match to, to all the listeners. So we're going to do the December 6th, 1996 World Tag League Final between the teams of Jun Akiyama and Mitsuru Masawa against Akira Talwe and Toshiaki Kawada. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if, if you talked about this much, but like, there's a lot of, um, because just all Japan in the 90s, the, the the tours do have brand names like Super, summer 
summer summer excite series super excite series super excite series series and things like that giant series and and so forth but uh you know there's no like pay-per-view big names even like how new japan has today so i have a lot of these dates burnt in my head so 12696 is definitely one of them and um i think this is considered uh this and the 6995 tag match considered among the best tag matches of all time if it were at least those of, of this era of all japan so this is following you want me to just do the history because I, I think i can this this follows um yeah sure this is there's a number of matches between these two teams earlier in the year this is obviously the end of the year but uh so Talway and kawada have been a long time tag team at this point for a few years and they've uh i think they have the, the tag titles going into may in may of uh May 23rd, 96, and this is where Akiyama and Misawa have just started to team up because I think the, the Misawa and Kobashi tag team has sort of come to an end. And Kobashi's uh, beginning his run with various partners, including the Patriot, which we see in, in this tournament, in the highlights anyway. Um, and Akiyama and Misawa beat Tawe and Kawada. Sort of, I feel like it's this, you know, the, the overarching story to me of, of All Japan at this time is, is the story of Masawa and Kawada and the the sort of underdog or resentful relationship that it, it seems that they have, um, which we could probably talk a lot more about. But uh, I think there's this story of Masawa has this new partner. And even with this new partner, they're still able to beat Kawada and Tawe. And, and Akiyama pins Kawada, I think, is the finish in the, in the 52396 match. And Masawa and, and Akiyama take the titles. And, uh, there's another match between those two teams in July, July 9th, 96, and Masawa and Akiyama retain and beat them again. And then uh, in this, uh, I don't know if we're jumping too far ahead, but then in the tournament, they do have a league match because everybody wrestles everybody in the league with the, the two top teams going on to the final. But when these two teams met uh, in the league, uh, Masawa pinned Kawada. So lots of beating Kawada and Tawa here. Yeah, so basically the team of Misawa and Akiyama are like, um, they're 3-0 and against uh, Holy Demon Army, which is, of course, the team of Kawada and uh, Tawe here. And I, I do think you kind of really hit the nail on the head with the overarching theme of the promotion is, is the struggle between Misawa and um, and Kawada. Like, Misawa is firmly established as the, the ace of the company. He's, you know, he's held the, the Triple Crown title. He's not the Triple Crown um, champion at this time. That's, I think, believe is Kobashi. So yeah. uh, earlier in the year of 1996, like, Misawa loses the Triple Crown to Tawe. Yep. So there's like that history between those two as well as like between Misawa and, and Kawada. But then Tawe has lost it to Kobashi since then. So him and, and Kawada, you know, they're they're kind of like, you know, claim to the company, like being a top people in the company are, are through the world tag team titles, which they have held, which they kind of have a stranglehold on um, at this time, uh, up until the time that Misawa and Akiyama defeat them for the titles back in uh, May 23rd. Um, but I do, I do think like there's also not just like the resentment of Kawada towards Misawa, but like you, you have some, this idea of like, you know, Tawe is continuing the work of Jumbo Saruta, like from Saruta gun, because, you know, Jumbo, you know, has to retire because of his, his, um, his illnesses and his, his medical condition. And then basically, you know, Baba, giant Baba decides like, I got to need to replace, you know, Masawa's new rival with, with somebody is going to be Kawada. So 
the easiest thing to do is basically take, you know, Kawada out of the super generation army and stick him in Sarutagun and then just change the name to the Holy Demon Army. And just a continuation of that kind of that that rivalry that Masawa Masawa is having with Jumbo, but now it's with his former tag team partner and generational rival in in Kawada. Um, and, and so like, but you know, Taiwei Taiwei, so who's someone we're going to talk about a lot of, I think, in this particular show is just as important with his own dynamic with Masawa because he's carrying on the legacy of feuding with him from his days in Sarutagun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I when people ask me who my favorite wrestler is. Um... I think I think it's Kawada. Just I think the the story of Kawada is so sort of deep and tragic, and so, sort of I, I, when when I start explaining it, I and I usually end up just saying yeah, because that that's that's how life is. Like he's he's always the the second best. He comes up. You've, you've talked about it at length in the in the most recent episode with the Kawada biography, but he comes up with Misawa through school on the same wrestling team. And he's like best friends with this guy apparently, and, uh, and he always plays number two to him. Um, despite you, you, you may even feel that you know, sort of perf- in terms of his performance, I, I think he's a more dynamic performer than Masawa is. Um, then you have like that that Tom Zank story where you know Tom Zank talks about how Kawada, you know, recognized that you know Masawa was was this handsome wrestler, and maybe Kawada wasn't as good looking. And he always feels like he's second best. And um, and even when he does get the big the big triumph, it's not always in the most satisfying way, I guess. Like the the match where he finally beats Masawa for the triple crown in ninety-eight in the Tokyo Dome. Yes, it's in the Tokyo Dome. It's sort of the most built-up match, you could arguably say, uh, for all Japan in that era up to that time. But it's not exactly the classic that's you know, this it's not the six three ninety-four match. It's not thought of as this awesome match and even Kawada's title reigns when he does have title reigns are uh you know in 95 he has one defense that goes to an hour with Kobashi great match but it's not a win and then he he loses it right away to Hansen in 95 in March and then his second reign uh he loses it right away to Kobashi in 98 and then his third reign I think I'm getting these numbers right you can tell me if I'm wrong WH, but and then his third ring comes when in, in the Ganzo bomb match and the broken arm match. He, he beats Masala, but his his arm is broken and he's got to vacate the title right away. Yeah, he is has incredibly bad luck. I think the '99 match um, where he wins the title for the third time is like especially tragic. I think I do feel like he probably would have got a long run with that title. Um, but everything else is like I think you know he has to play second fiddle to. You know, not only Masawa, but you, it's obvious from I'd say from 1995 on that, like it, you know, it's it, the person who's going to succeed Masawa as the ace of the company is mm-hmm. going to be Kobashi, and not not Kawada. Kawada is always going to be that foil to both Masawa and to Kobashi when he eventually you know takes over the ace position or shares the ace position with with Masao. So Kawada is like for me is like my favorite of the four pillars. I think he's has the most interesting story though. I I would argue he's very high up there for my ranking of of my favorite wrestler, but like maybe Kenneth Kobashi, I just think is a more complete like babyface, and I always tend to like babyface wrestlers mm-hmm. uh, a bit more than heel wrestlers. So I think Kenneth Kobashi just edges out Kawada's in terms of my ranking for like my favorite wrestler. But you know, I think all your, your numbers and dates are correct, Brandon. I, I would trust your, your memory, you know, especially, you know, since you deal with numbers a lot, a lot more than mine, even though like this is trying to make this my, uh, my thing talking about this era, but let's, let's talk a bit about the Holy Demon army. So this is their, 
Um, they've won the real world tag league twice this in the match we're going to talk about is the first time they've won it um they will then go on to win it one more time in 1997 so Mm -hmm. even though they've been like the most dominant tag team and they're considered the greatest tag team in the history of all japan pro wrestling they they've only won the real world tag league twice because they like you're saying the the story for them is to be foils to masala so like the previous times that they've reached the finals they've lost to the team of masala and Kobashi. So going into this this particular tournament in this particular match, this is a really big deal. I think especially for for Kawada, but also for Tali as as a team to like finally vanquish uh, whoever Misawa is teaming with at this time. And it's the up and comer, like kind of like the hot prospect. The what do they call it? A blue chipper in Junakiyama here. Yeah, it's uh, come to think of it, it's, it's the same combination from the, the ninety two World Tag League final, right? Where Akiyama is filling in for Jumbo, you familiar with that match from that's the ninety two? It's not they're not doing finals yet, but it's the it's the deciding match, right? I can't remember that one. I'm sure I'll get to it eventually on this show. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so it's it's what is it? It's it's Akiyama and uh, Tawe. Yeah, Akiyama and Tawe against right. Misawa and Kawada. That's right. But yeah, it's it's uh, this is the beginning of Akiyama really getting elevated, right? I don't think he's had a triple crown match up to this point. But he's being introduced as as a Masala's partner, um, and there's a lot of um, something I always think about when Akiyama and Kawada are, are when I watch them back in, in tag matches or whatever is that they never really had a really big one on one singles match. I'm I'm sure they they had a number of matches as a result of being in the Champion Carnival at the same time, but there was never a really big marquee Akiyama Kawada match, and uh, that's unfortunate because I think that's a uh, you know I think that would have been a really good big match for, for the triple crown or whatever i think that probably would have come in like yeah 2000 2001 yeah. if like this the noah split never happened but yeah dakama definitely has marquee matches with with uh with masawa and with kobashi while they're still all in all japan pro wrestling but not with kawada he does have some singles matches with him i i would argue that maybe he he might have had a, a bigger higher profile match with Tawe than he would have had with Kawada during their time in Noah together. Um, but in this, let's talk a bit about the, 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 the tournament itself. So I want to talk about these, these participating teams. Let me go through the list and let me get yes. your impression about some of these pairings here. So of course we have Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe, Jun Akiyama and Mitsuharu Misawa. Uh, Kata Kobashi is aligned with the Patriot Del Wilkes. And I think they're still calling themselves the, uh, GET Global Energetic and Tough. Uh, Johnny Ace is seemingly gone from this trio. He's now joined forces with Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and their team in this tournament. Uh, Stan Hansen is taking, uh, has taken a young Takao Mori as his tag team partner. Uh, Giant Kimala, not Kamala, Kimala, and June Izumita, doing, who's also kind of pinned up the similar to how Kimala does his body paint, uh, their team. And they're kind of like the guys who are going to eat most of the pins. So they do have one major upside, I think over Misawa and Akiyama in this tournament. And then the very, very oddball team of one Gary Albright and Sabu. Yes. Did you watch the, the highlights, the, the YouTube link? There's, there's an, a few YouTube links for this match out there, but at least a, a couple of them are they're probably like the, uh, the All Japan Classics airing that was aired many years after the fact, and it shows like a sort of a highlight reel of, uh, of the tournaments. Did you see that? Yeah, I, I love those things. There's one for the, um, the, the 89 one. 
uh, tag league that I love. Yeah. It's just like the the teams that you see in there and the, and the highlights of those matches are, are amazing. But this is this one's really fun. Just if if you're a fan of you know Sabu from his ECW, yes. watching him <laughs> integrate himself or try to at least in in all Japan for wrestling is quite a sight and. And I, it's no wonder, like, maybe he doesn't have that much success in Japan because I think he burns pretty much every bridge he comes across in Japan. Yeah, that sounds like like Sabu. I I, I don't know. Like, I wonder, is this, like, uh, one of the times where he's on the outs with Heyman for ECW or something, so he goes on a tour of, of All Japan? I don't know. But he, I'm sure he had done a few tours with All Japan up to this point. But Sabu is definitely the, the, the one that stands out the most in this highlight reel. Where uh, Even in, in this highlight reel, they they show you know there's there's a number of matches that they had to make a lot of decisions about about what to show and which matches to show but they sh- I, I forget who who their opponents are albright and sabu but uh sabu is going to do like the triple jump moonsault which is usually like he jumps onto a chair onto the top rope does does the moonsault back into the ring and rather than a chair he uses gary albright's back to jump up to the top rope and he and as he's attempting to do this jump off the back of gary albright to the top rope he just slips and falls this is shown on the highlights. He gets right back up, of course, repeats the spot and executes it fine. And uh, I just thought it was amusing that, you know, even in this All Japan Classics highlight reel, they chose to show a Sabu botch and show him just repeating the spot. Oh, that's a classic. A of, that's classic, yeah. though. That's a, that's a classic in its own right. Sabu botching a, a triple jump. But yeah. there's all, all these other random highlights of him just sort of randomly flinging himself, like slingshot flip into the ring and just all sorts of very Sabu highlights in this highlight reel. Yeah. So uh, let's go to some notes. I, I took these from the from Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer, December 16th, 1996 issue. And we're just going to talk about kind of the, the way the tournament played out, played itself out in terms of getting to the final. So uh, the tournament came down to the December 4th show in Niigata with Kobashi and the Patriot in first place with 60 points. This is like a big surprise. No one thought that they were going to reached the side brandon uh they had two po- they needed two points for a win and one for a draw and they would have gone through into the finals uh masawa nakiyama and kawada and tawa each had 15 points so they're tied and while steve williams and johnny ace had 14 points so the, the way the math works is williams and ace weren't uh entirely eliminated going into the final night at least not math wise and although it would have taken a combination of a victory by them and either losses or draws by either uh, Masao Nakayama or the uh, Holy Demon Army on the final night to put them in a two to four way tie going into the championship night on the on December 6th here but that didn't happen obviously um, the booking follows a largely predictable all Japan pattern of you know like of having these kinds of like um, you know point systems of people like you know maybe the surprising team of Patriot and Kobashi getting to number one but like there's a lot of drama going into who's going to be the final two teams going into into uh, december 6 here mm-hmm. you, you mentioned the observer and uh this is not the, the match of the year for the observer 96 surprisingly do you know what is i don't i don't remember now i think it's the uh the june 7th 1996 match between masala akiyama and ace and williams which is an incredible match but uh i think it's just a matter of um the the observer calendar i think I, I guess he has stopped doing this in the last few years but the observer calendar being a um what is it december of the previous year through november of the current year uh calendar but uh yeah this this seems like a, a match that is you know the consensus pick for the best match of 1996 among you know people who are watching wrestling from all, all over the world in hindsight 
I, I mean, I, I can't remember the, the one that Dave picked for his match of the year for 96. I mean, I, I would assume that if I'm, you know, collating all the matches I've watched in 1996 at the time of this part, this might've been probably right up there for me, if not the, the ultimate winner for match of the year, but continue with the, sorry. I think, I think it's just a a victim of like, you can't vote for stuff that just happened because he's trying to make leeway for tape traders at the time who are getting stuff on a, on on a several month delay. So you don't want to vote in January for things that have happened in December because you probably haven't gotten the, the tape yet. So I think that's just what happened there. And I, I, do, I, yeah, I do believe the, the June Asen williams Masawa akiyama match is, is the match of the year for the Observer. Uh, so back to the, the booking here. So Misawa and Akiyama, who suffered the biggest upset loss, perhaps in company history, according to Dave, he, they lost to the aforementioned giant Kimala and Jun Izumita early in the tour with Izumita pinning Akiyama. Oh, boy. Uh, and, but they got their win back when Akiyama pinned Izumita in revenge on, uh, uh, in 11 minutes and 43 seconds before 2,650 fans in Niigata. And they, so they clinched their shot there's their spot in the finals. Um, Kawada and Taiwei beat Sabu and Gary Albright in 13 minutes, 29 seconds when Kawada pinned Sabu to end up clinching a spot in the finals as well. Uh, going into the main event, Kobashi and Patriot only needed a 30 minute draw with Williams and Ace to make it a three-way at Budokan two nights later. Uh, since Kobashi and Patriot, a team figured to finish no higher than fourth place going in had basically led the tournament standings the entire tour. In a surprise, it made sense that leading uh, most of the way and nearly making the finals would be considered success, a success for them. So uh, teasing the draw most of the way, the match ended when Ace proved to be the spoiler, pinning Patriot in 28 minutes and 14 seconds, leaving both teams in a tie for third place in the tournament standing. So all that comes from uh, the wonderful and uh, talented Dave Melter, the greatest historian of professional wrestling. Go check out the Wrestling Observer. Get the subscription to that if you want to learn about your history about professional wrestling for sure. So going into... Um, the end of the tournament, the final standings are uh, at first place, Kawada and Tawei. Uh, they have 19 points. Masao and Akiyama have 17 points. Williams and Ace uh, and Kobashi and Patriot are tied for third place with both with 16 points. And everyone else uh, have six points. So there you go. And so we this brings us to the date, Brandon. It's December 6th, 1996. The location is Budokan Hall in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. I've been I've, I've been in this building. It is. One I was going to ask you. Yeah, have, you've been to Budokan. I've been to Budokan for for wow. New Japan, and yeah. it is the probably next to you know Corken Hall. It's probably my favorite place to go watch wrestling. It's an amazing building, and it's way better than the the sumo than sumo hall, which I, I do enjoy. Just don't go there in the summer, please. It's it's not worth it. Is it because of the box seating at the sumo hall? No, it's because the air conditioner doesn't work properly. Oh. Okay. In my opinion, like some people, are like I don't know what you're talking about. It was fine, WH. Okay, okay. I lucked out, and I was there two nights in a row for the G1 Finals yeah. in 2000. I think it was 2016. I almost died wow. both nights because it was so hot in there. But anyways, <laughs> I yeah. do, I do recommend Budokan. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful building to watch wrestling because they, one, they have a great air conditioner. Like yeah. I'll just say that. But anyways, let's get yeah. to. I'm, I'm very jealous. Like if, if I could have a time machine. If somebody gave me like the Back to the Future DeLorean and I could go back to one place in time, it, it might be the Budokan somewhere in the, in the mid or early 90s to just see what the atmosphere was like in person. 
So I'm, I'm just such a fan of that, you know, the opening shot that you'd get on a lot of the commercial tapes or maybe the TV shows of, of the Japanese flag there in the, in, the, in the ceiling. And then they would pan down to the ring and the, and the crowd is, is just ready to boil over. And then the music starts. And, and as we'll talk about these, these guys, just there's no entrance set. They just walk out of, out of the back down the aisle with, you know, the younger wrestlers shoving everybody out of the way. It's just classic to my mind. It is. And the, the fans are like the wrestlers, the, the seconds have to shove people out of the way because these fans are super rapid. They just want to get a touch of, of like, you know, Misawa, Kawada, yeah. uh, Kobashi, Tawe, and whoever else. I mean, um, they even want to touch Stan Hansen, which is a bad idea because he's, he's <laughs> just given free reign to like whip his like cowbell and right. rope at people. And like, he's, I, I do think he's, he's hurt fans uh, because, and, and he's never been punished for it. So <laughs> there you sure. go. You, uh, you noticed too, in the Budokan in the earlier years, so like the, the, the Jumbo Masala classic matches in 90, the ceiling has, there's like colorful lights going on. That goes away in, in the mid nineties, certainly by the, by this match, there's no more colored lights. And I wonder if that, is that just like a creative decision by, by Baba to be like as bare bones and conservative as possible with it, with his, presentation or, or i wonder if that was just a, a cost cutting thing or, or what but they were doing great business at the time probably right so i, I would imagine that was something that that budokan decided to renovate yeah. the building um yeah. and then maybe they just got rid of those lights because they were too old or something like that that might have yeah. simply and baba would have no choice but what you know <laughs> budokan decides to do with their own building because he doesn't own it obviously <laughs> he's just yeah. renting it from them for for uh multiple times during you know his time as a promoter for all japan for wrestling but let, let's talk about the undercard first i just want to kind of go through it really quickly the results of this show uh in the opener uh kentaro shika and siyoshi kikuchi defeat satoru uh, asako and yoshinobu kanamaru and you know a name we hear in 2021 in a six-man tag team match it's one of the comedy matches with all the older guys in the match very you know, staple of all Japan pro wrestling, Haruka Aigen, Masanobu Fuchi, and Mighty Inoue defeat Giant Baba, Mitsuo Momota, and Russia Kimura, uh, Giant Kimala, and Sabu, two two different people not teaming who weren't teaming in the in the tournament team up to take on Manuka Mossman and Yoshinari Ogawa. They defeat them. Uh, a six man tag team match: Jumbo Saruta, Stan Hansen, and Takao Mori take on and defeat Jun Izumita, Masao Inoue, and Damon Honda. Uh, six-man tag team match, Gary Albright, Kenny Kobashi, and the Patriot defeat Johnny Ace, Johnny Smith, and Steve Williams. I kind of want to see that match. That, that sounds like it has potential to be a really great match. 27 minutes long. Do you see I that? Mean, I'm, I'm looking at ProWrestlingHistory.com, and they have a 27-minute timestamp for that. Yeah, I mean, just the, the, the idea of, like, Gary Albright, like, throwing around Steve Williams and Johnny Ace is, yeah. sounds, like, amazing. Plus, he's teamed with Kenikawashi. Sounds great. And then, of course, our our main event is the match we're going to talk about. It's Akira Tawe, Toshiaki Kawada, the, the Holy Demon Army, and they're taking on the Super Generation Army of Mitsuhara Masawa and Jun Akiyama. So, like you're saying, it, it, you know, before, Brandon, this is the video that, you know, we're going to link to in the show description for from YouTube. It starts off with a recap of all the key matches in the tournament. Um, and an important detail, like you talked about, about him, but an important, I had my notes, an important detail I found from watching these highlights was that Sabu, really sucked in the tournament because he's <laughs> he's botching moves all right left right and center he's trying to get all his shit in but i it, it, you can probably tell that probably the all japan roster the native wrestlers and probably the foreign wrestlers as well probably just like who the fuck is this guy why is he yeah. doing all this shit yeah he it, sabu is definitely a product of his time in terms of him him becoming the the, the level of star that he was i think it's if sabu 
came along today doing the things that he does today, uh, at least in terms of his style, you know, that he would just be sort of criticized as, as this, this indie guy who doesn't know what he's doing. And he, I'm sure he was to an extent at, 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 in his prime during his time too, but he really stood out doing what it, whatever it, it was that he was doing. You know, he was uh, one of the few, if not the only ones willing to do the, the crazy kind of moves that he, that he would. I mean, he stood up because like, I mean, he was the only, he was really the only one doing this stuff. And, and then yeah. it, it leads into like, I suppose like with Van Dam eventually like joining him in ECW. I was like, Oh, this guy's crazy too. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're gonna we're gonna we we open with each team coming out and we see in the Holy Demon Army's corner is Masao Inoue he's their second in uh, Akiyama Masao's corner is Satoru Asako and our referee is is the great Kyoi Wada and and at this time in 1996 he is probably the best wrestler in the entirety of professional wrestling he gets the the, the Kohei Kyohei chant right yeah, that, that 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 I've noticed. That's something that starts around '95 or so. Because you watch the classics from like '94 or or something like that, and, and I'm like, having watched everything out of order, having only gotten to the stuff after the '90s were basically over, it's it's noticeable that oh, that's that starts in the in the later '90s, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking at some matches from like '94, '93, sort of waiting for the go hey chant, and it, it doesn't happen, but it does happen here. I think by this time he's kind of supplanted like Joe Higuchi as the main yeah. ref of, especially for the main events. Yeah, I think he's, he's doing all he's doing all the big main events by the early nineties. I think. Yeah, it was. I think it's between him and like while Jumbo's still on top. I think it's like between him and and Higuchi, and then eventually because of Higuchi's age, like Kyohei Kiyawada like eventually takes over. And I think the fans really recognize that. Wow, he's he's really good at his job. So he he unfortunately in in like the last four years I, I think he's kind of become a, a a sad character of himself and and like i i really hope he retires soon because i kind of want him to keep his legacy as one of the greatest refs of all time but he's kind of for me at least he's kind of ruining it with his recent performances but uh so you know what i i kind of was paying attention to the to the commentary team here and the announcer on the commentary goes through the nicknames of each participant and some of these are familiar brandon like of course we have kawada he's dangerous k uh, Tawe is dynamic T, but you know, I, this is the first time I've heard the nicknames of Masawa and Akiyama. Uh, and, and so Masawa's nickname is Historic M. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay, I've never heard that until now. And then Akiyama was referred to as Glowing A. <laughs> now, what are, what, are, what are your thoughts on these nicknames here? I don't know. I, I, I know Akiyama's nickname more to be Blue Thunder. I mean, obviously, that's from the Blue Thunder driver. I don't know. Does, does Misawa have any nickname other than, I, other nothing than is stuck? I don't think either of these. Like, I think maybe this announcer was trying to be funny. And like, is this a Akira Fukuzawa or is this somebody else by this time? I can't remember who the. the it's definitely Baba on the. He's color. the color. Color. Yeah, I don't think these two, these two nicknames never. They never caught on. Obviously, most people like you say because of his tights and his move. Like Akem is was known as a uh, Blue Thunder. Uh, Misawa Misawa never had like any kind of like you know nickname associated with his his emerald tights or anything like right. that or anything else he's just misawa you know mm-hmm. so but you know like obviously we hear dangerous k dynamic t these are kind of ingrained in fans minds as being the nicknames of, of kawada and Tawei respectively mm-hmm. have, you, have you ever heard that um maybe i like i dreamt this up but that misawa's tights obviously he only starts wearing this just after he, he goes single and throws the mask away Actually, he has like some planar green tights at first, right? But but then he gets this this white, you know, rectangle on his thigh afterwards. I, I've I've heard heard once that 
it was symbolic of like you know passing the torch on on to the next generation or something like that have you ever heard that there's some sort of because it, it, it does look like a very, it is some sort of deliberate design, but it's not clear what it is, you know? So he goes from like his Tiger Mask 2 gear, and then he gets rid of the mask, obviously, in the famous match. And then his first iteration of like the, the silver and green is like, there's the, it's primarily green tights. And then he has like the silver patch around like his thigh and crotch area. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's just into like kind of like kind of a piping around his his legs. Uh, that we that most people are familiar with i'm not sure why he changes it like it, 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 i think it coincides with also like kawada he also changes his gear like he goes from like right. blue and yellow when it, like in the early 90s when the super generation armor is first formed to eventually he migrates into the the black and yellow that we're all familiar with the only people who really never change are like Tawe and, and kobashi i think kobashi just changes moves more from a red hue of his his tights yeah. to to an orange t- orange hue so right. but other than that like you know masao and kawada like really do, do a lot of gear changing throughout from the, the time they debut to like the time this to the to 1996 where we're familiar with like what they're wearing and basically they wear the same thing until they you know masao's unfortunate death and like kawada's retirement yeah i i love the colors i i was an active fan in real time when no split was just happening and it was almost like oh my god kobashi's wearing black akiyama's wearing white it was like oh no this this is this changes everything i know i know it's like such a jarring thing and then akiyama like dyed his hair and then he finally oh, shaved, yeah. shaved his head because he had that that very glaring bald spot and same thing like that mudo kobashi did. dyed his hair he was he died like, heard that. when he was coming back from like the knee injury he there was like a, a photo of him with with blonde hair but he never rest he, he dyed it back i think by the time he came back for that budokan match in 2002 yeah, he did. It didn't last the blonde here. Thank God. I, I don't. I can't. I think think I could have handled the extended period of of blonde Kenta Kobashi. Uh, in, into the match now. So like basically, Akiyama and Kawada they start off. Um, there's a Kawada call right away from the fans. Like they're really into like Kawada's story. I think like you and I we were talking about like how we're, we're fascinated by Kawada and his his relationship with Masawa. I think the fans are too, mm-hmm. and they yeah. want to see Kawada get this win because like also i think they're they they're obviously following the, the the match series between these two teams and like they know like geez like they're zero and three against misao and akiyama already like so they're i think they're ready for whole demon army to kind of like, just make a comeback here in in this finals um there's a hot start right away with both men trading advantages early on and, and until a good old kick from to from kawada right to gene akiyama's face sends akiyama to the mat uh Akiyama recovers and starts laying in forearms to Kawada's face. He goes for his jumping knee, but Kawada avoids this and hits another kick to the face. But Akiyama has braced himself for that and hits Kawada with another forearm and a jumping knee that connects his time. And at this point, Akiyama decides to tag in Misawa and the crowd in Budokan just goes electric that we're not going to see Misawa versus Akiyama here. Uh, Misawa versus Kawada here, Brandon. Right. And uh, I think... There's there's just a little bit of a tease here, right? And this is where Masawa, I think, even hits the tire driver on Kawada, which is what he used just about, I don't know, a, a little less than a month ago to pin Kawada earlier in the tag league in, in their in their regular tag league match. Yeah, he does he does hit Kawada with the tire, but this is like this time Kawada does kick out at two. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's happening even before that. Like, you know, there's a you know, Masawa came and hit 
uh, hit a double drop kick that sends Kawhi to the floor. Uh, Akiyama knocks Tawe down with a drop kick as well. Then Misawa hits the elbow Susita for a big pop on Kawada on the outside. Uh, he sends Kawada back into the ring and then, you know, does his trademark assault of elbows to the face. And then, hits the aforementioned tiger driver but i think like you know at this point like you can you can safely think that that kawada has braced himself he's prepared himself he's trained to get hit with that tiger driver it's very rare that he he gets pinned by the tiger driver at this point in in their feud i think like it would take something like the emerald flosion or the tiger driver 91 like for for him to get pinned by the tiger driver in the earlier match in the tournament that's i think that's really surprising myself yeah in in big matches it's it it's hard for me to think of a big match, especially a Budokan main event where the tiger driver is the finish. Um, it's a lot of elbows. It's a lot of, it's, it's the occasional tiger driver, 91, <laughs> but, and, and, and old frozen, which I don't think Masala has introduced at this point in 96. I think not, not yet. That's yeah. much later. Yeah. Like yeah. At, at some point, like, you know, both him and Kawada, both him and Kobashi decide, you know what, we need more dangerous looking finishers. So you have the Emerald Flosion and you have like the, uh, the burning hammer <laughs> introduced before they, I think before they form uh, for us right. Noah together. Uh, Tawe saves Kawada from a second tiger driver and Kawada does a cool looking takedown and immediately tags in Tawe. It's kind of like a, like a shoot fighting takedown here. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of uh, Tawe coming in to save the day and sort of do damage control for Kawada so that Kawada can get, you know, get the revenge that he, that he needs to get. He does. Uh, Masao floats out of a vertical suplex attempt from from uh, from Tawai, but you know Tawai is able to catch him with a DDT and follows up with a jumping high kick to Masao's face. I don't know about you, I like Tawai has this kind of gangly like looking body, but my God, this man is super agile for a man his size and with his build. Yeah, he's a, a lot of people on first watching are not impressed with Tawai. I guess just because the body type, he's sort of a, a smaller version of Giant Baba. But uh, if you if you stick with it, either he's he's a good athlete. Obviously, he has a sumo background. I think in addition to that, but uh, he's it's it, it doesn't look that graceful. I think I know it's, it's the Inzaguri that you're talking about, right? Where he just sort of floats up there with these long legs and he hits it. I almost feel like it it, it looks really good and effective, but he also kind of looks ungraceful doing it. But I, there's some I don't know. There's kind of like a grittiness to that that I like. I I do think it's kind of like this awkward charm that that yeah. Tawai has and the, the the moves he performs including like he hits his massive powerbomb on Masawa with only for a two count but I I really love his power moves he he has the, the choke slam the Nondoa Otoshi uh he's gonna try to do one to Masawa who's perched on the top turnbuckle but thankfully for Masawa you know Akiyama prevents this from happening and uh, Masawa is able to drop a flying elbow to a prone Tawai and then he tags uh, Akiyama and uh, who then goes to work with knees to Tawei's face and then, but Tawei counters with a beautiful sounding slap to the face like it, it's amazing the, uh, the way this, this 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 yeah this mic is is uh, <laughs> this ring is mic you just hear this like that to, yeah. from from Tawei to, to yeah. Akiyama and I like I love a good slap to the face I don't know about you Brandon but I love watching one I don't know if you like taking one um it depends on how it's executed uh, if you hit me in the jaw I will get sort of knocked out and staggered but if you hit somebody above the jaw it's uh i wouldn't say safe but it's a lot better if at least uh, you know nobody's gonna get knocked out that way no no one wants to get like seriously injured but i think a little like you know slap to the cheek makes a good sound it, it yeah. looks really good so like and that's what we got from tally here uh akiyama 
Akiyama is able to hit a dragon screw uh, leg whip, but Kawada immediately comes in to uh, halt Akiyama's momentum with a boot to the face. Kawada comes in with a legal tag and then spends the next several minutes committing legal assault on Akiyama with stiff chops and kicks his chest. It's just a series like, you know, chop, kick, chop, kick. Uh, yeah. He hits this devastating brain buster, but, you know, um, Akiyama, before he's able to pin him, Akiyama just rolls out of the ring. And, you know, this is, this is a great sequence part of the match where you just see, like, the the, the sharpness of, like, Kawada's wrestling and especially his striking. And and I really am a big fan of his brain buster. Yeah. This this starts a long control spot on, on Akiyama. And um, just thinking about the, the structure, without getting ahead on, on the match, but I just think about the, the structure that I notice when I watch these matches that I'm a big fan of, but I don't have a ton of experience doing the kind of structure, I guess that they're doing typically the structure that we do in, in us wrestling is sort of what I think what people refer to as the Southern style tag, right? Where there's maybe you start off with, with uh, some shines for the baby faces. This leads to a cutoff of one of the baby faces and a long heat. And then there's a hot tag. Maybe if you're doing a long match, you do a, you do a second heat and you do another hot tag. And there's a different kind of structure in these all Japan tag matches in that they don't feel like they have to do a super hot tag every time. It's almost like, as I was taking notes and watching this, I almost feel like there's, there's a warm tag where they don't, they don't, where, where, you know, somebody tags in and doesn't come in super hot and clean house on everybody, but somebody comes in and it's, it's logical that they come in fresh and they start kicking ass for a while, but there's, um, I don't know. There's a a more subtle use of the tag here. And there's a lot of, additionally, there's a lot of uh, the illegal partner coming in to like sort of guard what's happening, you know, to to sort of guard the ass kicking that his partner is is administering on on the legal man. Yeah. I I tend to find with like, you know, Japanese tag team matches, like a lot of the, the hot tags tend to happen mainly from like when you have, you know, two people who have an issue or have a history with each other finally getting to the ring with one another. In this case, it would be like Kawada and Masawa. That's the first hot tag is like when Akiyama finally tags in Masawa and Kawada's mm-hmm. still legal in the ring. Then that's when this crowd comes alive. And it, it, that's kind of like the pattern you see until like I think more recently in, in New Japan tag matches when you have obvious like babyface heel dynamics, then that in the southern tag style comes more into play like the structure that you're talking about but in like Mm -hmm. all japan pro wrestling in the 90s like i do think it's kind of like there's heat and shine from both teams because there's no real clear babyface heel like people will say oh they're you know kawada and tawai are heels they they wrestle more aggressively and have you know certain beef with misawa so they, they they really take pleasure in beating the shit out of him but I don't. I never think of them as being heels necessarily, no. because like a lot of things that they do are things that Misawa and Akiyama or Misawa and Kobashi would do as a team themselves. So yeah, the, Talway is maybe the nearest to heel in terms of what he does in the ring here in this match. Just like there's the there's the the snake eyes on on the top rope and things like that, and there's the there's a I don't know if we, you're probably gonna mention it later where he grinds his, his boot into uh, into I think it's Akiyama's maybe it's Misawa. anyway it's one of their faces. And uh, there's some heelish stuff that Tawei does, but there's, there's a, you know, there's definitely nobody's a clear heel or face, which is kind of the norm for Japanese wrestling. Right. And um, I sort of just wonder why Japanese wrestling emerged that way. And us wrestling emerged with like, you have to have a face, you have to have a heel. Uh, 
especially in the nineties, at least there's, you know, there's gotta be one or the other. I think it's, I don't know. It's one of the things that just drew me more to Japanese wrestling into all Japan pro wrestling is that, you know, there were, there was more subtlety to it. And it seemed, you know, a bit more sophisticated in, in that, you know, these are just stars wrestling and they have issues with each other, but we're not going to make it clear cut to you that you're supposed to hate one and love the other. No, I, it, I think, you know, the, the main focus is like kind of this, like it's a real sports competition going on here instead of like, you know, like, Oh, you, I, I hate you. And uh, you know, you, you stole my wife. I'm going to beat the <laughs> shit out of you now, kind of a thing where, which is, which is what, you know, kind of dominates American style wrestling. It's, it's the kind of angles and stuff you have there. Um, back to the match though. Like we, uh, so here we have a, uh, uh, Kawada and Tawe take turns beating the shit out of Akiyama, including like Tawe just showing like just really having awesome performance in this match. He hits a surprisingly nice looking savat kick, and then an Inziguri that you mentioned before. Uh, he he does a lot of these things where he's just jumping up and looks awkward, but it's still super effective looking as well. Uh, Kawada tags back in and grabs the wrist of, of Akiyama and proceeds to chop him down. He maintains the wrist control, obviously inspiring Kazuchika Okada later on. Uh, he drags him back up and then chops him down again. Uh, yeah, and I wrote, Okada, eat your heart out. This is real wrist control. Uh, Kawada then assaults Akiyama while he's sitting down with a series of alternating chops to the chest and kicks to the back. I, I just thought, man, it really sucks to be Akiyama at this point. Yeah, and this is just the beginning. It's a, a match that is just all about punishing Akiyama, but so they can get to Misawa. Uh, Akiyama prevents a, a backdrop driver from Kawada, but then Kawada switches to a face lock, but you know, Akiyama refuses to give up. This is one of the main stories of this match, like we're, we're talking about here, Brandon. This is this refusal to give up from Akiyama. Like he's just showing like he can hang with the, the Holy Demon army, and it's just. This match is really, I feel, really designed to just get him uh, in the eyes of the fans to a level where they see him as equal to like Kawada and Tawe, and even eventually to Misawa. Yeah, and he's had these these. This is what their their second or well, it's their their third tag match. Where so far up to this point, Misawa and Akiyama have won, but I, I it feels to me like there's a you know not this guy too kind of uh, reaction from Tawe and Kawada where they really have to give him a beating and uh but it's it's like you said though for Akiyama to show you know what he can survive and how he's not willing to to give up and he keeps crawling back but you know Akiyama does survive and and he you know he holds on and he and he does he gets a hot tag to Misawa and and the, the the crowd goes crazy when Misawa finally gets in there and he hits a lot of his signature jumping clothesline moves and and follows up with his face lock submission but you know Tawe comes in like you're saying Tawe he's like he's there to just spoil everything for Misawa he comes in to break it up but you know Misawa sends him back out of the ring uh but this gives Kawada the time to recover uh Kawada and Misawa trade kicks and then uh, Kawada switches to Kawada kicks to M's, Misawa's face. I just love when he does these things. And I, I got to think Kawada puts a little bit of extra stiffness, a little <laughs> bit of extra stank on these when, when he sees Misawa's face. Because Misawa, when he gets up, he looks pissed and he proceeds to stiff Kawada in the face with his own elbows. Yeah, it's when, when I watch these matches and, and especially when I, when I hear other people talk about these kinds of matches and how stiff they are, um, I, I do think... The strikes look quite stiff, and we'll, we'll talk later about some of the suplexes that get get thrown. But um, these, this is this is probably some pretty stiff strikes. I, I always say it's hard for me to tell just by looking at a match just how stiff something is because 
the visuals that you see as a viewer of wrestling uh, can, can, can be misleading sometimes. You know, you see stuff that happens that looks innocuous and then you find out later, oh, that was, that was really stiff. I, I almost died on that, <laughs> you know, but uh, I, I, yeah, I have some, some confidence that these guys are hitting each other pretty hard. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 interesting to think about. Like they they you know obviously have some kind of unspoken agreement that we're, we're gonna we're gonna hit each other really hard, like harder than we would other people. But we're still working together. We're still you know doing a work. We're we're cooperating with one another to like have a good match. And and so I always find that interesting when people work this, especially when you know that there's a real rivalry between the two people that are working together. And like, there might be like, you know, animosity between them, but they're, they're, they're still professionals when it comes down to the, to the, the nitty gritty of it, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Tawei comes in and grinds his boot into Masao. So this is the spot you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> this is a couple of times, much to the uh, displeasure or maybe to, to some of the fans, but I think there are some fans who are quite enjoying him doing this. Uh, Masao avoids a choke slam off the apron and tags in a refreshed Akiyama who hits Tawei with a flying elbow as he runs off the apron to the floor. Uh, Akiyama strings together a series of nice foods, including an impressive Northern Light suplex on Tawei. He gives Tawei a taste of his own medicine by dropping him throat first across the top rope to some mixed boost from the crowd. I guess they weren't expecting Akiyama to use like Tawei tactics on, on Tawei himself here. Right. Yeah, it's just sort of Akiyama getting back at Tawei for what he's done to him earlier. Um, it, that, that's one of, the, one of the moves that sort of you pick him up at a body slam, you drop the throat on, top, on the top rope. That really gets a lot of heat in some of these early 90s uh, tag matches, especially with, with Jumbo and whatnot. Uh, it's now Masao and Akiyama's turn to get the heat on Tawei. You can hear a couple of loud female fans cheering on Tawei. Who who knew Tawei was a heart prop for the 90s uh, Puro scene here, Brandon? I was very surprised Obviously. by the reaction here. <laughs> I, I, I didn't notice that, but I'm, you know, many, he appeals to many audiences, I'm sure. Yes, yeah, you know, I'm sure many a magazine with his face on it was, was sold to many a, a, a female wrestling fan back in the 90s. Uh, Akiyama hits an exploiter suplex, but Kawada immediately comes in before Akiyama can go for a pin. Kawada prevents a Misawa Tiger Driver on Tawei with a clothesline, which lets uh, Tawei hit a brutal-looking German suplex, and uh, he's able to tag in Kawada. So I guess this is one of the, this is one of the suplexes you, you were referring yeah. to. We're talking about one of these suplexes. This is a German where uh, Tawei is doing this to Masao, right? And uh, he's throwing him at a, at a pretty low angle. So it's not as if it's one of these big scooping German suplexes where you hoist them high in the air, but he's just pulling him back at a high angle. And uh, Kwada does this taking one, I think, from Masao later, where like they, he flips backwards, like right on top of his head, which just looks very dangerous and like i don't know kind of unnecessary as far as you know taking care of your own safety but uh it's uh yeah it's 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 moves like that that make me wonder you know oh wow this this must be where they contributed some damage to their necks possibly oh definitely i i gotta think that you know well as a wrestler yourself if like someone said to you can i hit you with this this kind of looking suplex i, I would imagine you're gonna say mm, maybe well, we can do something different this 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 match this move looks to me like this it's all on on the person taking the move i think in that i could you know masala could have sort of sandbagged here and tucked his chin but he didn't he, he basically does a, a moonsault right and just lands on the top of his head i, I think a lot a lot of these suplexes and whenever people have asked me about this, like, this is what I say, because I've, um, you know, I've taken my share of, of what people call head drop suplexes. And uh, 
and maybe it's different because I'm, I'm a relatively small wrestler, right? I'm not weighing as much as these guys weigh. So maybe it's different because there's just more weight in their bodies to, to take the bump on. And then, then maybe that makes it more risky for them. But if you, if you land in such a way that you, you sort of do a back roll, it's, it's can be quite safe. Um, but if I, if I'm dropped down at, at, a, at a certain angle where like, I don't have the momentum to roll through this, then it can be really painful and dangerous and, and, and damage causing. But, uh, when they're done properly, I think they're pretty safe despite how dangerous they look. Um, yeah, I think, uh, it's just all about how you, how you do it and how you execute it. Some of the stuff that looks super dangerous can be done safely if it's done correctly. So I want to make a point at the, you know, like one of the main stories of the matches of the match that we talked about earlier was like this, you know, Akiyama, you know, surviving and, and elevating himself being on the same level as Kawada and Tawe. But I think the other story of this match is like how Holy Demon Army are kind of coalescing their teamwork, maybe more cohesively and in a much better way than they have in the previous three matches that we've had with Masao and Akiyama, where like they're just, I, I think it just gives them an advantage over, over Masao and Akiyama in this particular match and who, you know, they can't seem to like overcome the, the Holy Demon Army's teamwork here. Like uh, another example of this is like Kawada hits a n- jumping knee drop and, and, uh, Tawei follows up with the top rope elbow drop right in, in, in you know like succession right and then I, this, and I just thought watching this like another great example of their teamwork their timing is just beautiful it's like they're reading each other's mind here uh, at one point Masao releases uh, Kawada in a release German but and that that has you know Kawada land right on his head as well so it's kind of like the the you know the, the receipt that you know Masawa gives not to Tawei but to Masawa to, but to Kawada instead <laughs> Are we talking about the 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 Germans in succession here, or or you've not gotten there yet? No, I don't think we've gotten to the succession. Okay. This is like the the release one. Like he just okay. throws them up into the air, and then Kawada just lands right on his head. Brutal. Uh, there's a Tiger Driver pin attempt, which is broken up by Tawei. Akiyama goes in, and Tawei tries for the throat chop across the top rope again. But Akiyama is wise to this move. He blocks that, and then he and uh, Masao then proceed to coordinate strikes against Tawei, including a stiff rolling elbow to Tawei's face. So, like, I think that's maybe uh, the, the the receipt that Masao is going to give to Tawei for the earlier German on his head. Uh, at one point, Kawada is hit with Germans by both Masawa and Akiyama, and then he pops up, and then he delays staggers out of the ring, so there's no danger of him getting pinned while he recovers. Uh, I got. I just made a note. Kawada's cell job and his facial expressions after these Germans is was just yeah. next level, just amazing. Yeah, I, I the last time I watched this was probably a couple of years ago, and I think I, I I did like an Instagram story where I just recorded the screen of him. You know, take takes one German, then then another German, then he he rolls right up, sort of like he's gonna fire up into something else, but he just sort of staggers almost drunkenly and slips through the second rope down to the floor. It's just a, a classic uh, sell. And I think it really highlights how Kawada, the subtlety of, of Kawada in, in, in how it works. When people watch Kawada for the first time, they often talk about how he's stoic and he doesn't express much. Um, but what I think he does is he's very dynamic or he's he's spending very wisely he's very economical in his selling or facial expressions so that when he does do them when he does sell and does express it means a ton i think shibata is like this in many ways too in that 
you know, they don't seem to spend much, but when they do spend, it means so much. And, and like, that's just one of the reasons why I think Guada is, is one of the best that there's ever been, or at least one of my favorites in that, you know, he's, he doesn't express much, but when he does, you know, it's, it's built up to really mean a lot rather than, I think a lot, a lot of wrestling today, we've taught, we've taught wrestlers and we've been influenced by so much of the instruction about how you need to sell more, you need to, to sell really hard, which is well-intentioned and true in many ways. But I think it results also in a lot of overselling in, 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 in the, uh, the, the intent to put a lot of effort into your performance. But I think it, there's a lot of overselling rather than spending economically your expression so that it means so much when it does happen. And I think just Guada is one of the best at that. Oh, definitely. And, and to add to that, I think, you know, like the, the deepness of his selling, like, especially with his facial expressions, like you can read just so much into it because like you're saying, he's very economical with it, but also I think he really understands like when he is going to sell, my God, he is going to sell like perfectly and, and masterfully um uh, continue on with the match Masao hits another tiger driver but uh Kawada barely kicks out of this but you know he does kick out of it but you can tell like he's he's really on his last legs maybe here uh Tawei stops M from hitting uh Masao from hitting what looks like a half and half suplex Akiyama goes to neutralize Tawei tiger but- driver 85 right that's Tiger uh, Driver 85, I think. The Tiger Suplex 85. Yeah, Tiger yeah, Suplex, yeah. excuse me. Tiger yes. Suplex 85. He, he's, this is a really dangerous-looking move if you've never seen it. You, if you watch enough All Japan matches with, with Sawa in them, you're going to eventually see the, the, the Tiger Suplex 85 or 95 here. Uh, Tawei stops. Uh, oh, so Akiyama goes to neutralize uh, Tawei, but it's the other way around as he throws Akiyama knee first into the top rope and then hits the Nodoa Otoshi from the apron to the floor. Jesus. Akiyama hits the floor with a thud. I was just like, oh my God, he is dead. Yeah. And this is starts this this long story of just Akiyama laying on the floor while finally they have Masawa alone. But yeah, it's uh it's rare that Talway does this Nodoa from the apron to the floor. It happens in the, the six nine ninety five match as well. Maybe it's, I'm sure it's happened in a handful of others too. But uh, yes, it's uh, you know Tawei is uh, taking everyone out when there's the Nadoa from the apron to the floor. Definitely. Well, he I mean he he proves it right after he goes back to the ring and he hits Masao with this beautiful boot to the face. And I just wrote Tawei is so awesome. Uh, he goes over to put Kawada uh, back in the ring. So like Kawada is still the legal guy. It's not Tawei. So he goes to put Kawada back in the ring uh, near his corner. So oh sorry. Tawei's the, the legal man. Kawada is on the floor, but he wants Kawada to get the pin obviously. So he goes over, puts him on the apron and then he he goes over to the corner. And he, he tags him in. Uh, wait, am I getting that right? He Kawada is back in the ring near his corner, so he can tag in. I think so. Uh, anyways, the tag psychology from these two, from Tawei Kawada, is just off the charts in this match. Uh, uh, Masawa reverses a powerbomb with a hurricanrana and then a vicious elbow to the face and looks to tag out, but he doesn't realize that that Tawei has completely fucked up Akiyama with that choke slam to the floor. So he's like, where's, right. where's my, where's my partner? <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he gets up and, and walks towards his own corner for a second and realizes there's no one there. Uh, like, so basically Masawa is effectively in a handicap match and, and Tawei and Kawada realizes, and they're like, okay, now you're ours, Masawa. So Tawei starts hitting Masawa with his, with many of his signature moves and reverses Masawa's attempts at a comeback at one point. 
Tawei hits a fucking tope on Masao. Yes, on the, the Tawei tope. <laughs> beautiful. It's it's not graceful or anything, but it's still no. beautiful. You know, Brandon. No, it's it's not graceful. It's it's not perfectly executed with with the finely tuned fundamentals, but it's effective. You know, that's 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 much of Tawei's offense. Uh, and at, at, on the floor, like Tawei is looking to like do the same thing to Masawa that he did Akiyama. But thankfully for Masawa, Akiyama has recovered. He saves Masawa from this chokeslam attempt on the floor. Uh, Tawei then tags in Kawada, who again smells blood in the water. He corners Masawa in the corner and proceeds to knee him mercilessly as well yeah. as kick him in the face. This if, looks brutal, Brandon. If I can get in, like the uh, the moment where. Toby's trying to do the Nidoa on the apron to the floor to Masawa. He's already done it to Akiyama. Akiyama's been laying on the floor all this time. And uh, this kind of ha- similar things happen in, in the 6-9-95 match that has Kobashi in it. This, this is where Akiyama just gets up off the floor and staggers over and just hugs Masawa's ankle to, to prevent this. And there's this, I don't know, it, it happens a couple times in this match and it happened a couple times in this 6-9-95 match where it's like, it's sort of like they're, you know, trying to remove children who are, you know, throwing a temper tantrum. Where like, you know, Tawe has has the Nadoa, you know, he's he's grabbing the neck of Masawa, and he just sort of like, you know, he realizes that Akiyama is holding on to their ankles, and he just sort of looks over Masawa's shoulder and, and yells to Kawada to come over here and and you know get rid of this. It's just quite it's quite quite amazing to see. It just really adds to the the flavor of this match, and and not only are are, are the fans impressed, and 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 we, and not only are we impressed, Brandon, the the commentators in this match are all fired up by the sheer viciousness that that's on display against that's leveled against Masawa here, like like the amount of violence that that this man is being subjected to. Um, but you know what? He's he is Masahara Masawa. He recovers. Is about to mount his comeback, but. Tawai recognizes that this is going to happen and steps in to take some punishment to save Kawada. Beautiful, beautiful teamwork here. Kawada also eats some elbows, and it looks like Masawa is going to get the advantage uh, on, on both, but Kawada ducks a rolling elbow and catches Masawa with this gross-looking back suplex that drops him on his head again. Again, the teamwork on display from, from Tawai Kawada is just absolutely amazing here. I think this is the other... German suplex that is just ridiculous low angle but high landing yeah I mean I I don't know <laughs> I always amazed like like unfortunately this is, this is the kind of move that eventually does kill Masawa like in Noah but like I, I mean this guy took this move so many times you know in his career like it, it's not it's not surprising that like a move like this you know eventually you know does does you know kill him unfortunately yeah. I, I, I think I think Misawa's, you know, obviously his death in the ring uh, a number of years later, I think it has a, a lot to do with just not taking time off. Yes, the style that they were doing was very grueling and very brutal. Um, I don't know. Again, I don't, I'm not, I don't watch these matches and feel like I have a lot of confidence about how painful or damaging or dangerous a lot of the stuff was. Again, like I said, I, I feel that there's a lot of misleading visuals that you, that we, tend to conclude from watching matches and just from having performed the matches and having watched others perform the matches and then talking to them after or hearing people think what they thought was dangerous in my match you know I, I don't know what is dangerous and what is not without having felt it 
But I think the, the big thing with Masala is that he just never took time off and he probably needed neck surgery or some sort of medical treatment and that he just never, you know, he, he wanted to stay, you know, on the cards and continue to help Noah's business. So he never, never took time off. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think with a lot of people in, in pro wrestling in, in Japan, especially like it's cumulative. It's not right. necessarily one particular move or one particular match that has done it. It's, it's a, like with Kobashi, his, his, his whole body is, is like, shot because of the cumulative damage he's done to it over like the last 20 years of like wrestling the way yeah. he did but um back to the match misawa survives a, a kawada folding powerbomb uh so you know kawada decides okay like i tried tagging taway taway hits the dynamic bomb and if you don't know what a dynamic bomb is folks it is basically a liger bomb so it's it's you know he gets him up for a power bomb and then he just sits down with masala in a pinning uh, in a pinning combination uh thankfully for masala akama saves him from getting pinned by the dynamic bomb the the dynamic bomb is what dave batista is trying to do this is true. This is this is what he's trying to do. But I I, I like Big Dave. But but like Tawei just kind of like outclasses uh, Batista as far as this particular move goes for sure. Uh, this brings in Kawada and the Holy Demon Army proceed to murder Akiyama with a combination Nodo Otoshi backdrop driver suplex high angle, very dangerous looking, and and, and must, you know Akiyama looks like he's he's about dead here. Uh, this sends Akiyama rolling out of the ring and out of the rest of the match basically. So now we're back to like they've isolated Masawa. And um, I got to say here, Masawa's performance as the Never Say Day babyface is unbelievable at this at this point in the match. He not only survives some of the big bombs from Holy Demon Army, but he gives as good as he gets with his trademark elbow strikes to, to both Kawada and Tawei here, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Have we gotten, or has, is it still to come, the, the Akiyama back suplex alone? Just the back suplex? No, I think that's later. It's, yeah, I see it in your notes later. Never mind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's continue. We're going to get to that point. We'll, yeah. you, can, you can jump in there. Yeah. Uh, M. Uh, Masawa blocks a, a jumping gamiguri to his face, but Kawada hits a gorgeous kapo kick to, to, uh, to Masawa's head. It's just like, I, one thing I love yeah. is that Kawada is deceptively agile with his, with his rolling kick moves and, and jumping moves. For sure. Yeah, he starts to unload some, uh, some of the... Uh, the the uh, the moves that you know the, the Kawada kicks that are have been saved until this point in the match. You know, Akiyama stops Kawada from hitting the uh, Gamiguri with a spear, and because Kawada decides to punish Akiyama, uh, you know, because of this. But you know, Akiyama continues to fight back and has this crowd buzzing. You know, like they're really firmly behind Akiyama. Um, mm-hmm. Kawada hits a backdrop driver so hard that even though Akiyama lands on his head, he looks like he's having a heart attack. Is this the move you're talking about? Yeah, I remember seeing this for the first time, and it just shocks me every time I see it. All right, the, the, what, what, I, what I was saying earlier about moves that I think, you know, maybe they were dangerous, but you can't really tell. Like, this this is one where, I, where it sure does look like he fucking kills him. Like, he, this is the one I think where Akiyama takes it, boom, doubles over, and just puts his, his hand over yes. his chest like, ugh. You know, it, it just looks really tight and like a really hard and probably dangerous landing. <laughs> He, he i mean he's it's affected his heart this this <laughs> that he's actually like you know clutching it almost like that, that I, I, I could see it like crushing your chest like it just like crushing your sternum the way the way that he lands uh from here there's a gamiguri for kawada but it gets a two count there's an awesome looking folding power bomb 
only a two gown again. Like I gotta say, like Kawada, like the power bombs in this company, especially from Kawada. I love the folding power bomb. I love the dynamic bomb. Um, they they're just so awesome. Like we talk about when we talk about power bombs, we talk about like people like you know, Sid Vicious and, and and Big Ben Vader and stuff like that. And they're great power bombs, definitely. But I gotta say, like I I'd rather take a power bomb from either of those two than from Tokiaki Kawada, especially the folding one, because he just just plants you there, right, really hard. Yeah, I think any move where you don't bump or land on the ring with the person. So in, in, in Kawada's case, where he's powerbombing his opponent with his feet planted the entire time can be really painful because <laughs> because you have a 200, well, however many pound person pressing their entire body weight down on you know, every ring I've been in has, is, is, you know, a pad wood and metal and the metal is usually kind of bowed. And that's what, what allows the wood to, to, to give for the bumps. But when you have somebody who's pressing their own body weight down on, on the, the surface, the wood gets pressed down into the bowed metal. And then, so there isn't as much give when you bump and hit the, the mat. So these could be really hard, you know, non-giving bumps. So if people can't tell, we're we're basically in the crescendo of this match. We're we're in like kind of the finishing stretch here. So uh, Tawei holds Akiyama back, and this leaves Akiyama open for one of uh, Kawada's gamiguri kicks, which sends him, which sends him to the outside floor. Uh, Kawada goes for the folding power bomb once more, and this time he hits it, Brandon, and he get, and he hits it for the one, two, three. He pins Mitsuharu Masawa in 31, 31 minutes. 37 seconds of this amazing, amazing epic tag match. In, in this closing stretch too, there's a, a lot of really good shots that are typical of the camera work of all Japan at the time. They're doing this sort of, um, you know, diagonal, but elevated view. So not, I'm not talking about the bird's eye view, which, which is, which happens sometimes in this era, but this sort of diagonal looking up from the rafters view, uh, looking at, you know, sort of from the angle of one of the posts and, there's a good, you know, a, a great shot of the power bomb happening, and Akiyama just sort of reaching across the ring. He's not going to make it, but and, and Tawe is there anyway. But just reaching out, it's just this this great, you know, photo, photographic shot of uh, of a near fall. And uh, there's a lot of good moments too that you see from that camera angle where Akiyama has just been drilled with something, and he's just sort of dying near the the bottom rope or like his his head is 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 on the bottom rope and slipping down and hitting the canvas just you know just tragically uh collapsing i mean like you're talking about the the scene that's on display here like so we have like you know Kawada and Tawei, they've won their first real world tag league. And it, it happened because, you know, Kawada vanquished his greatest rival in Misawa and he pinned him. And and like they're celebrating. They they look like, yeah, we're the winners. While Misawa and Akiyama look like they're they're gonna be going to the hospital afterwards. Yeah. So there's, there's great close-ups of of Akiyama with just this vacant look in his eyes. Like he doesn't know where he is. Like he might not even be alive. And the, you know, the 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 younger wrestlers are putting ice packs under his neck and stuff. Uh, so, Brandon, like, uh, I, I was able to get a translation of the post-match interview. If, if you and the listeners I was would, wondering. Like to, would like to hear what they what was said. So, you know, in the post-match interview, Tawai is asked uh, uh, from the from the uh, interviewer, first, what are your feelings about this match? And Tawai says, uh, thank you very much. And then Kawada is asked, how do you feel? Kawada says, yeah, I finally, I, I became the winner. Thank you. <laughs> and at some point, they're both asked, uh, how do you feel now that the winner – has been cited in this in this tur- tournament and then Tawa and then they, they both say yeah 
great. Thanks. Uh, then Tyler's asked how he feels about them winning uh, the various other matches in the, the tag league and they had, and that they had the strongest tag team. Tyler says, yeah, thanks. That's because of everyone. Thank you very much. And then uh, Kawada, how do you feel about getting the three count of Masawa? And then, you know, Kawada's like, yeah, it's great. Thank you. Uh, and they're just saying thank you a lot. So uh, not, not the most compelling uh, promos in the history of wrestling, but my God, the matches are amazing. So I, I just watched this. I, just, I watched the post-match too. And whatever Tawei is saying is getting laughs. It's, it's sort of like he's saying something endearing or sort of, you know, I don't know. He's getting laughs for whatever he's saying. So maybe it's just something about the, uh, the timing of what he's saying. Maybe just his thank yous are, are rather humorous. It's, with Tawei, it's either like he's saying really something really dryly, I suppose, or yeah. he's saying something really dirty because he's uh, apparently a very dirty-minded man, like, a, like Masawa. Surprisingly, uh, people are surprised at like what a pervert actually Masawa is, and and so is Tawei apparently, according to some of the foreigners who've gone on tour with with these gentlemen. But um, yeah, like that's that's the match. Um, I don't know about you, Brandon. I I went five stars. I do the five star rating system. I I went five stars for this match. Yeah, my my star rating system has not been calibrated lately. But when I did give out stars, I definitely I, th- I thought this was you know a five star one of the all time great matches. I I really liked you at the end. Just, just sort of some of the atmosphere that they're probably not even intentionally doing. Just you have all these middle-aged men in suits getting getting in the ring, and the big check gets handed out, and it just all looks very sports-like. And it, it 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 aids me as a viewer in my suspension of disbelief and believing that this was this is a real sporting event. This is a uh, you know something that everyone is taking very seriously, and, and the wins and losses matter a lot. Just a lot of little things like that that make things seem very serious and sports-like. I think if if like there's an American promotion that not emulated necessarily the style but the presentation yeah. of Japanese wrestling like like with things like this I think you can really set yourself apart in the landscape but you know I think most people take away like oh we got to drop each other on our heads and we got to do like 15 flips like like a Japanese promotion would you know instead of like oh no like you know if you presented as a sport and like with real, you know, consequences for the matches and like, and, and like make it seem like it's realistic and the the wins and losses do matter. I think you could set yourself apart. I think that's where like ring of honor, you know, kind of thought they were like copying all Japan of the nineties, but not necessarily like the style. Yes, but not the presentation necessarily. Right. I I think about this a lot and I, and I feel kind of guilty sometimes talking about it because it, it also happens to be, you know, the style of my favorite promotion of all time in you know, all Japan in the nineties. So I wonder if it's just me projecting, Oh, I want wrestling to be the way that my favorite wrestling is like, or would it really work from a business standpoint? Um, <clears throat> but I, I think I, maybe I, I, you know, I, I, I'm certainly inclined to think so. I think um, the, the U S wrestling tradition uh, is very different and every I think wrestling and not just wrestling but you know sort of creativity in general just tends to be very derivative of what you've seen before and the vast majority of the watch time of wrestling that anybody has seen for the last few decades at least has been a very different uh, <laughs> a presentation of wrestling that among other things wants to present itself as sort of in on itself or not taking itself too seriously. So you don't, you know, you're, so you're not as able to make fun of it because it's fake wrestling. 
So I, I just think there's a ton of tradition and groupthink to overcome in even being able to do that, to, to test whether or not it would be a good economic approach to, to uh, presenting wrestling. I, uh, but yeah, I think you could, like you, like you said, I think there have been some, some approaches like this. There's been some Ring of Honor has tried this. Uh, I wrote an article a few months ago about how I, I don't think anybody is really doing a mainstream approach to wrestling that would actually capture the widest audience. I think maybe this kind of presentation is something that does it. And like you said, it's, it's, it's not that I'm saying, yeah, do all these dangerous moves and have everybody stiff each other and drop each other on their heads. But, but just more so the presentation of being a sport and taking yourself in your, your, your pseudo sport very seriously and aiding the audience in their suspension of disbelief. Um, I think that might work. I, 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 I believe it does. And it could, because you can have, you can have, you know, mass wrestlers, you can have people who come from a lucha background and have like outlandish costumes, but as long as they're wrestling in a realistic manner and present themselves and take themselves like realistically, I'm not going to say seriously, but more like realistically, yeah. instead of like being, you know, a meme or, or like saying, Hey, wink, wink, nice, nice wrestling is fake. And I'm here to help you understand that. Like, that's not the kind of wrestling I like. And I, and I think that, that, the, the market is oversaturated with that style and the kind of people yeah. who do that kind of style of wrestling, which is fine in of itself. Like you can do that. I'm not saying that should be banned or anything, like that. Yeah. but the kind of wrestling, there's, there's I would an audience see. for that. There's an yeah. audience for a, for a, uh, a more, I don't know what are examples of this in history, like a more Chikara like, or dragon gate, like, you know, storyline heavy. What I think people mean when they say storyline, storyline, heavy kind of wrestling. I think, the the biggest audience to capture though might be in a more uh realistic approach but i think we're just up against a vast tradition and preconception of what wrestling is at least in the u.s or in, in the west that you know it's incredibly difficult for something like that to get executed and there have been a number of uh, repackagings and launchings of promotions including AEW I think that have in some way or another promised a sports-like version of wrestling but it's um it's been quite a bit like WWE in, in, in my view not completely I'm not saying AEW is exactly like WWE it's not it's quite different but it's not but it's nearer to WWE than it is to all Japan in the 90s. I think even in Japan like you know it, there's the the presentation that you see here, it doesn't exist anymore. There is a lot more kind of um, entertainment aspects in Japanese professional wrestling, a lot more than you would see back in, back in the nineties, but that, you know, that you take what you get and you, you make the most of it as a fan, I suppose. But um, um, just getting, let's close things up here. Uh, I just want to wrap it up with saying, you know, Dave, Dave Meltzer also gave this a five-star rating as well. Uh, the, the, the uh, people over cage match gave this a 9.64 out of 10 based on 74 votes. Uh, uh, the grapple average rating, uh, is a 4.71 based on 34 ratings uh, from a five based on a five star scale rating, uh, and I I, got, I just want to say like this is one of the best Tawei matches performances I have ever seen just because he sure. plays his role so well and his role is to ensure that his team wins but I think also secondary to that and but just as important is is 
he wants Kawada to pin Masao. I think everything he does in this match leads towards that goal. Like he tries to pin Masao himself as well, but he, whenever he can, he tries to get, he tags in Kawada. He gets Kawada and he makes sure Kawada does not take the brunt of a lot of Masao's big power moves and, and pinning moves. And he's, he's just masterful. I just think he shines a little bit more than Kawada, even though Kawada is the one who gets the pin on Masao in this match, Brandon. Yeah, it's a lot of times Tawe is the most overlooked of 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 the uh, the four or five pillars, but uh, there are some really great performances from him in this match, and I think that in many ways this match is a, is a sequel to the to the six nine ninety five match, where there's a lot of the same dynamics happening, where Tawe is is getting in there and doing damage control and setting up Kawada so that he can get in there and pin Masao, and and just to to highlight how important just a pin, a pin in a tag match is, And it's not just that they won, but who pinned who is such a big deal. And in fact, I, th- I think this is only the second time, the first time being 6995, but this is the only second time I think that Kawada has pinned Misawa. I, I believe so. I think you're correct on that. I don't have it in my notes here, but yeah, it, it's, it's significant. Any times like that Misawa, like Kawada got any kind of a win, whether it's singles or, six man or a straight up tag mm-hmm. it's it's significant it, it you know because i also like anyone who got a pin on misawa it was so rare mm-hmm. um and because he's the ace of the company it elevates you um the, the thing with kawada is like it elevates him but it doesn't because like you know like we talked about in the kawada bio show like um he you know like he he's openly questioning Giant Baba's isolationist policies for all Japan because he mm. sees all the business New Japan is doing with working with other promotions. He's like, why don't we get in on that? And he says this publicly, so like he's he's in the doghouse with Baba, which is never a good place to be. Um, he also has, you know, like the unfortunate, um, you know, I, I think it's true. Like the Tom Zink story you mentioned before, like Kawada realizes, like I'm not as good looking as Masao. I'm not as marquee value as Masao is. He's also like he he has to contend with Kobashi you know, as well, because mm-hmm. like, it's, it's so obvious, like Kobashi is the one that's going to jump ahead of, of, of Kawada in the pecking order, even though Kawada has seniority over him in the company. And, you know, you know, the, the senpai kohai seniority level kind of hierarchy that exists in Japan is very important in, in Japanese professional wrestling, especially in, in all Japan. But, you know, Kobashi is going to, you know, bypass it because business is business and he's more marketable than, than Kawada is in, in the eyes of Baba at least. And one thing that I've always wondered about, and I, I don't really know, and, and maybe you touched on this in, in the Quada episode that came out recently, but like, so is, is that, that, that core of the heat on Quada is that he openly criticized Baba or, and or All Japan for not doing more interpromotional stuff? Like, is there, what, what leads to such bad feelings between Misawa and Kawada? Like, what, are, what really are the politics between those two that results in you know, when, when Masawa starts Noah, that uh, Kawada, Fuchi, and, and Kyohei Wada are the only ones who are left behind. It's it's sort of ironic that, you know, Masawa is, you know, sort of, you know, basically the son, you know, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the adopted son of Giant Baba. But Kawada ends up being the one who says, no, I'm not going to leave, you know, I'm not, not going to leave Mrs. Baba, at least in 2000. I think it was less loyalty to Mrs. Bob and more like you're like you're saying, Brandon. Like there's the heat between Masan and Kawada. They they just hated each other by the end. 
like they could work together because they're both professionals, but like mm-hmm. personally, they, they didn't get along. There's a lot of times where, you know, Kawada or Masao would take liberties with mm-hmm. one of the other, you know, and then it would, it would piss one of the other off, like in the match and they just stiff each other. Like they're still cooperating, you know, yeah. Yeah. but they're still, but they're like, okay, well, I, I, you hit me really hard unnecessarily well i'm gonna hit you right back and it, this is like the story of the relationship the reason i feel the reason he doesn't go because he knows he's gonna be third fiddle in the company yeah. and when with everyone gone except for him and fuchi it's like well now i'm gonna be the top guy even though it's a depleted roster it's a shell of its former self i'm still gonna be the the, the top guy in this company and he, I'm, I'm sure there's a genuine thought in kawada's head that he can rebuild the company by by bringing in other people to the company and maybe trying to get you know people from other companies to to join him in in the new all japan that he's going to forge who knows uh with fuchi i think he i think he stays out of loyalty to the to the memory of baba and kyoi wada i believe he he baba gave him ownership of the 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 ring trucks or something like that so he has a business investment to stay with all japan <laughs> okay yeah i guess if you're if you're Kawada and, and Masao is going off to start his own thing, you may have such bad feelings between you know yourself and Kawada that or yourself and Masawa that you know I'm not going to go work for him where he's you know undeniably the boss and he probably won't want me over there anyway. So yeah, it's uh, Masawa never wrote a book, right? But Kawada did. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder if there's any detail in there about their relationship. Um, if you listen to the Masawa episode that I did with uh, Hisami, who does the, the Noah translations over on uh, Twitter, like you, you can hear a lot of like her talk about the the relationship that you know Kawada and Masawa had, and it was very very contentious and very very heated um, mm-hmm. inside the ring and, and behind the scenes as well. Like I mean, Masawa was going to be the president of the company; he's going to be the head booker, and I'm sure Kawada knew like, oh, I'm fucked. I'm I'm going to be top tag team wrestler, and I'm going to get triple crown shots and i'm gonna lose a lot of them to both masawa and to kawada he probably realized like oh i'm gonna get passed over by by akiyama in this company as well so you know like i i think for him he decided i'm gonna stick with all japan and i know i think he he realized like the the interpromotional stuff that he wanted to do with all japan was gonna finally happen mm-hmm. with masawa gone and mrs baba you know with baba gone as well and like he he got to do like some great business with with New Japan Pro Wrestling and having these dream matches with Kensuke Sasaki and and right. tag team matches with him and Fuji against you know Tenzan Kojima and Nagata Izuka that people should go watch and stuff like that. But um, yeah. yeah, like this Kawada is just he's great in this match. Tawei's freaking amazing in this match. But you know I don't want to shortchange both Akiyama and, and Misawa. They're, they they play their roles amazingly, especially Akiyama in, in this match. And and I urge people to go go check it out. And, and Brent, I want to take the time. Thank you so much for, for yeah. joining me on this show and, and picking this match. I had an awesome time watching it twice and, and taking notes and, and talking about it with you here. For sure. It's thank you for having me, WH. It's one of my favorite matches of all time. And uh when you asked me to do this, it was uh Ooh, wow, like there's so many good matches to pick from. And this is uh, you know, like I said, it's one of my favorite matches of all time. So it's uh it's it's great to 
revisit this stuff, especially with somebody who knows so much about uh, the history and the background. I, I hope like people who are fans of your, your, your WrestleNomics show and then hearing you talk about the business side of wrestling, I hope they get to see, hear this show and, and hear you just talk straight about just about wrestling, about like yeah. a match and, and give, give your analysis about, about just wrest- the, the wrestling style that was on display here. I thought very illuminating for me as well. So where can more people find your work, Brandon? Yeah, it reminds me, I did something similar with John Carroll uh, months ago about the 6995 match. But uh, yeah, you can find, uh, I do a, a podcast weekly that I have to record right now, uh, WrestleNomics, that's on wherever your podcast, whatever podcast app you, you have, you can find it by searching for WrestleNomics. Uh, there's WrestleNomics.com, which has my written work on it. Uh, you can support the Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. And uh, th- you can follow WrestleNomics on Twitter. At WrestleNomics, you can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Thurston. Awesome. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at WHPark9, uh, the letter nine, and the number nine, sorry, why am I saying a letter? Also, like we're going to have a sale at the, the, the Post Wrestling Merchandise Store for the, uh, the Post Perez t-shirt. Uh, go there, check out the details. I forget the exact... Uh, uh, percentage we're we're having but we're having a sale on this on this shirt while as you're listening to this so go check it out over postwrestling.com and, and and pick up a t-shirt for post for us if you like this show that that t-shirt is obviously related to this show because i host both shows so yeah support the show that way and uh yeah thank you to brandon thank you to all the listeners for all the positive feedback especially i got so much positive feedback with the the kawada bio that that dylan fox joined me on with and and Kudos to Dylan for again for doing that show with me and just bringing so much information with him. Um, but yeah, definitely Brandon. Like I will definitely invite you back on to talk about another match down the line on the long and winding railroad. I really enjoyed having you here. And uh, until that time, until next time, I want to say to all the listeners, thank you and goodbye. Mm-hmm.